I'm not necessarily stressing myself out by saying, I need to build a $20 million business and exit with this amount of money. And I'm just going to follow the steps and follow the intuition and follow where the numbers are taking me. That is the way that I've gotten to 1.1 million, which, you know, if you asked me back in 2015, like, do you think you can make a million dollars a year selling CrossFit information products? I'd be like, are you insane? Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Happy Thursday morning, everybody. Thank you for choosing the Tropical MBA podcast. The stair-step approach to entrepreneurship is a recurring theme on this show, coined, of course, by the legendary Startups for the Rest of Us host and Tiny Seed founder, Rob Walling. Essentially, the stair-step describes how you can build up your business chops by, for example, starting a freelance business, then parlaying some of those clients into running an agency, and then maybe software as a service, and so on. In fact, we've featured many stories like this just in the past few months. But honestly, you can apply a similar approach to the stair step in your own business in the same venture over the course of many years. Maybe you could say the stair step approach is about the business of you, but you can focus it around one brand, which is what today's guest did. And we're going to explore that journey today. Hopefully, it inspires you. He actually calls it the lion tracker approach. And I love that imagery and the story behind it. Stay tuned for that and a lot more. So let's get to it. My name is Ben Jawalski, and I run an online fitness company called Wad Prep that helps CrossFitters get better at CrossFit. What's your best product? Tell me how you make money. Like, what's the scale of your business? The best product that we have is something that I call Wad Prep Academy. And essentially, what it is, is it's similar to Masterclass, where they have a whole bunch of different courses, and then they just say, hey, you can get all of them for one low annual rate. That's what we do, except rather than hiring Samuel L. Jackson to come do our courses, I do them. <laughs> and we have anywhere between 25 and 30 courses all surrounding different CrossFit skills. People can always buy them a la carte, but our main product that we're kind of pushing these days is Wad Prep Academy. That's where you get all of them for $400 per year. And that is one of the biggest revenue generators in the business. And we are on track to do about $1.1 million in revenue this year. I have a team all over the world. Any given week, we have like 15 people that do wad prep stuff, all in varying capacities. There's some people who work full time, but they're contractors that live in other countries. And then I have a few like part time, heavy part time contractors in the US that are, you know, coaches at other gyms and have their own practices and stuff like that. So we just have this cool team of people from all different areas of the globe that have come together and they really love what they do. And we actually just came back from our team retreat oh, and the awesome. team of CrossFitters, pretty much everyone on the team, except for maybe one or two people is an avid CrossFit doer. 
And we went to the CrossFit game. So I flew in a bunch of people from my creative director from Scotland, my marketing manager from the UK, a couple people from Canada all came in and we went to the CrossFit games and it was awesome. It seems like um, you have like a classic thousand day story here. It started in 2016. Your first year of revenue was $50,000. And now just five, six years later, you're passing the seven figure threshold. Congratulations. Tell me about the inception. I look at your website. It's so professional. You look so good on it. It's just, how did you imagine yourself in that role at the beginning? What was like the spark of the idea? First of all, I appreciate that. I mean, it's been a labor of love making the website the way it is. If you could see, I try to do that time hop thing where you like, you go and look at the history of your website. For some reason, it's not there, but like my first website, the one that I made, was the most hideous thing you've ever seen <laughs> in your entire life. Like, I'm colorblind, dude. And it's super <laughs> evident when I design anything. So, when I graduated college in 2013, I moved back to Maryland, where I was from on the East Coast of the US, and started a CrossFit gym uh, with one of my friends from high school. We got this angel investor came in, basically gave us 30K to start a CrossFit gym. And he's like, pay it back one day. Like you're just trying to get X number times 40 bucks a month kind of thing? Yeah. With a CrossFit gym, it's a premium membership. So I think we were charging $160 a month. We ran some sales, ran some launch specials when we first opened the gym. And we were cash flow positive in one month. I remember there were some times where I would coached the 7.30 p.m. class, which by the time everyone actually left was like 9 p.m. And then I turned around and coached the 6 a.m. class. So I just slept in a hammock in the pull-up rig. <laughs> and yeah, man, it was a classic. Like we were just kind of hustling, didn't know what to do. But when I ran that gym, that was my first introduction to, I don't know what I'm doing, but I bet other people do. I should go learn how to do it from them. So I started listening to like CrossFit business podcasts. I started learning about business and that was kind of the spark that got me interested in online marketing, email lists, selling things to an email list, marketing funnels. I didn't have that name quite yet, but I was just starting to learn about internet business. And along that time, I got engaged and then eventually got married. She was in the military. So I moved away from Maryland after two years of running my gym and I eventually sold it and got screwed out of the buyout. But that's a whole nother story. When I realized that I wasn't going to have this gym, we found out we were going to move to Japan. I was just like, what the heck am I going to do? I can't open a physical gym every two years where we go somewhere. Like That would just be ridiculous. It's going to be so hard. What am I going to do? And I was like, you know what? Maybe, maybe I'll try this online business thing. I eventually started putting some videos on YouTube and on Facebook and got some traction. And all I knew, thanks to whatever the first podcast or book I listened to was, all I knew was that I need to build an email list. Because once you have an email list, you can sell things to them. So that was it. I would make free videos and I'd get people on my email list. And literally my website, wadprep.com, was launched free CrossFit tips. Put your email here. And that was it. And I started building my email list. And I started doing research on CrossFit businesses and I started looking at other online businesses. And I specifically remember finding, he ended up becoming my buddy, I Love Basketball. And it's a company that teaches kids how to play basketball. 
and all the various skills of basketball. They have all these courses for all these things that revolve around the sport of basketball. And I was like, you know what? I bet you that I could do that for CrossFit. And it was like this huge idea like, oh my God, like this is crazy. Maybe this is going to work. Like it was totally up in the air. I had no idea. And then I remember somewhere along the line, I like found another company. I found this dude, Robbie, who was doing the same thing. And I was devastated. It literally put me in a tailspin, Dan. I was like, I still remember like my whiteboard brainstorming other business ideas. I was like going to start a fishing channel. So many of these like random ass ideas that I was going to do because that one person, Robbie, had started a business doing what I thought I could do. I'm living in San Diego. And I was just like, you know what? Even though someone else has done it, I'm going to try to do it. And I'm going to press pause there. How ridiculous is it? How many car companies are in the world? How many clothing (laughs) brands? How many fitness clothing brands exist in Georgia? (laughs) I think everybody can relate to what you're saying, though. What's so different now than then? Because I felt the same exact way, Ben. Mm. Scarcity versus abundance. I thought that because there was one player in the market that was doing it kind of the way that I thought it should be done, that person was first to market. It was obviously the solution that everyone's going to find. And his website was beautiful and his courses looked professional. And I was like, I'm doomed. Actually, unfortunately, I had read Zero to One by Peter Thiel, which is a great book and I love it. And I've revisited it a few times. But I thought that if I wasn't coming up with something brand new, that was revolutionary for my industry, that was just a waste of time. So there's a scarcity mind there. And I think (laughs) at some point along the road, I just realized that there are an endless amount of niches that you can make full-time living money from. Like I had no, I thought that CrossFit was too small, right? Oh, it's not a big enough industry. Like this one guy's doing it, so I can't do it. Now I realize that if I started a business with a niche that was 15 times smaller, I could still run a very successful business out of it. And I just don't think you learn these things until you actually start taking swings in business. I'm just fascinated, Ben, by like these these kind of plateaus that that we hit. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's commonly plateau at mid seven figures there's commonly a plateau at zero right there's and so how did you get through that first plateau so the first year so 2015 was definitely not 56k that was my second year of business first year of business i mean we're talking probably low five figures you know um and here's how it started this the zero to one moment actually came in that small apartment in san diego so i spent an entire month building a course and then a website to sell it and figuring out how the hell to make everything work together with ClickFunnels and Stripe and PayPal and all these connections that I was just blowing my mind. I specifically remember spending like two weeks creating a logo, which at this point is hilarious. Like it's the thing that matters least I spent the most time laboring over. And about a month after that kicking the ass from my ex, I stayed up all night to put the finishing touches on the website. I wrote this long, giant block of text email that goes against every possible copywriting rule imaginable. 
and I click send on this email to launch this product, Muscle Up Madness, which teaches people how to do ring muscle ups. I sent that email at about 6 a.m. having pulled an all-nighter. I was so jazzed up and I was like, I got to get some sleep. So I was able to fall asleep for like maybe like an hour and a half and then woke back up and clicked refresh on my email and there were zero sales. It was the lowest of lows I've ever experienced. I was like, I'm a failure. I knew I couldn't do it. It's not going to work. It was so demoralizing having spent so much time and effort trying to get this thing built and sending this email and just like thinking it was going to happen. And then I wake up 90 minutes later, nothing, zero, nada. So then I just, I go back to bed and I'm just kill me now. I'm freaking depressed. <laughs> My ex gets home. She wakes me up. It's like, Ben, what are you doing in bed? It's 4 p.m. Get up, go back to my email, to my computer, click refresh, and I have two sales at $27. And then you want to talk about an entrepreneur roller coaster, baby. I went from <laughs> bottom of the bottom to like tippy, tippy top. I was like, oh my, it worked. And I like, I had to double check to make sure it wasn't Gammy, my grandmother, and Ruth, my mom. And it wasn't that right there was a zero to one moment. I'm like two. About 50 bucks. Yes. Two complete strangers that I had never met before bought something with their credit card on something that I had built on the internet. I basically rinsed and repeated that method till now with a, a lot of learning in between. But that right there was a zero to one moment. Oh my God, I can sell things. I can sell internet things, information to random strangers on the internet. All I need to do is do stuff on the internet that makes people join my email list. So for me, that was release videos. And then once I have people on my email list, I sell them things. These information business models, they are often considered the holy grail of business models. You sell an information, your costs are low. It's just, it's awesome. Four hour work week, here I come. A lot of people end up using phone sales or other methods. I'm curious is like, what was it about your process that allowed you to generate sales in such a low touch manner? It helps to have a niche that's very passionate for sure. I'm not going to lie to you and say early on, I would have been able to sell harder, more obscure products to people who don't care about them. It's really important to have a niche or a potential customer that really, really cares about the product that you're offering. I think that helped. Also, my price point, phone sales for a $27 product it would probably be a big waste of time. So I think it was just the fact that it was a relatively inexpensive product. I mean, that same course still exists to this day. Now it's $197. The main key here is reciprocity. So all these people on my email list, especially at the time, had been overloaded with value. I think a common mistake that a lot of information selling businesses make, like entrepreneurs that are trying to start information selling businesses, they're just like, buy my stuff. Hey, I'm an expert. I'm awesome. Buy my stuff. That's it. Yeah. And you have to prove that you're awesome prior to making that claim. So for me, the play was always, value, 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 value. I'm giving tons of value through my YouTube videos, through Facebook videos, through emails. Like they, I wasn't just sending them sales emails. I was sending them really good tips via that email list so that when it finally came time to say, hey, here's something for you to buy. They're like, 
obviously I'm going to buy from you. You've given me so much amazing free stuff. I know you're the expert. For those who fail at selling information online, they often try to go for the sale too quickly without building up any sort of reciprocity, any sort of expertise. Like people will set up some sort of online sales funnel where it's like, see an ad direct to sales page and then some high ticket thing. And it's like, yeah, it works for some people if you have, a, but for me, it's like, I play the slow game. I'm like incredible video with a call to action to join the email list to get more free stuff. They join the email list, they get even more free stuff. And I give them free stuff in the email, in the autoresponder. And then, and only then am I like, hey, you might be interested in this product. If you've liked the stuff I've already been sending you, you're going to love this. And I add some scarcity to it with some sort of price going up or doors closing. And then people are like, oh yeah, I'll join. From an organizational perspective, what were some of the major plateaus or sort of roadblocks you hit? That first zero to one is a big moment. What are some other meaningful moments on the journey to seven figures? The big one was my very first hire. So... I'm living in Japan. I've hired a mentor. So I hired Billy Murphy at $600 a month, which like back then to me, that was like, oh my God. And now that's like, if you could hire Billy Murphy for $600 per month, that's a great deal. <laughs> Anyways, so he was my mentor and we hopped on a call weekly where he'd give me business tips and yada, yada, yada. I remember coming to a call once and just kind of just venting about how long it was taking me to make videos because basically my entire life was eaten up by I'd film myself and then I would spend days freaking editing these awful, awful videos that I hated. Like they were so bad and I was so bad at editing. And he was just like, hey, Ben, seems like editing's eating up a lot of your time. You should hire someone. And I was like, hire someone? There's no way that someone would be able to edit like me. They don't know about CrossFit. I immediately had all these objections. And the way that I remember it, and knowing Billy, actually, he probably wasn't this harsh. But the way I remember it was like, hey, Ben, if, if you don't try hiring someone, I don't think we can work together anymore. I put out some ad on the local Facebook group. I was on a military base in middle of nowhere, Japan. And... Someone was like, hey, I edit videos. I can try it out. And I remember sending her a project. And the first round of edits came back. And it was like, see, I knew it. I knew it. No one can edit videos like me. Like I knew that she's she doesn't know CrossFit. It's so intricate and complex. Only a mind like me could edit a video. Like I just I was like, I knew it. And then she kind of made a comment after that, after sending me her first draft. And she's like, hey, let me know if there's anything you need me to adjust. We can do a few drafts. And I was like, really? Oh, that's how editing works? Okay. I sent her a couple tips. I was like, hey, the arrow is supposed to be here on my elbow and not on my armpit. Duh. And like a few <laughs> other edits. 30 minutes later, I get version two of this video. And it was like similar to that zero to one moment. This was my zero or one to two moment or zero to two moment. I was blown away by the second video that she sent me. I was like, this is a hundred times better than any video I've ever created. And she was able to whip this up in like an hour and a half. And then I had all this extra time that I could dedicate to doing things that I was better at, like shooting the videos and 
writing emails and making websites, which I was terrible at, by the way. And it was just this massive light bulb moment. That moment right there is when I learned the power of hiring talent. That was like the thing that took Wad Prep and made it this like one man show where I was just like working 60 plus hours a week, just grinding to being a business owner. And now I have a large team that I kid you not, this afternoon, I'm telling my team bye and I'm not seeing them again until October because I'm going to be hunting for the next like month and a half living in the woods and I know everything will go fine. And then like, we'll have a great month, probably a better month than me working. And you're going to be then flying to Bangkok after your vacation. I was looking at the attendees list. You're coming to DC BKK. So you've really created this income for yourself. That is a, it's a true business. It's not a job. That's for sure. It's fascinating to me, the ability to create wealth and make money and be perfectly fine with me not having to work for it. And now there's still work. And I still like, there's been times where, hey, I got to step up and be a leader. Like I'm still the CEO. I still have to set the vision. I still have to show up and I'm still in front of the camera a lot. So there's still work, but there's there are months where there's not. There's months where I can focus on me. I'm going through a divorce right now. I'm not shy to talk about that. Everything's actually going really well. But like I've needed a lot of time to focus on me. I've needed to go to therapy. I've needed to take a step back from being the business. And having that team has been amazing. And like we're gonna have our best year ever, revenue-wise. And that's all because I've been able to give the reins to really, really awesome people who are able to be like, Ben, this is my expertise. I got this. Pretty much all I do is stand in front of the camera and talk on topics that my team has given me to talk about, and I write some emails, and that's about it. Whether you're a founder, a recruiting manager, or just the person who does everything around the office that's also hiring the next person, we've got stress-free ways to help you find your next great remote employee. Check it out, click through on your phone. I made a chart that shows all of our products for SaaS and e-commerce companies seeking to save time and build elite teams. Try our flat rate recruiting product. We have a 90% success rate. For teams who need to hire quickly, try our pre-vetted candidates. Right now on our website, we've got over 200 potential team members that our experienced recruiting team has already spoken with and are looking to go work at companies like yours. And for companies seeking to maximize candidate flow and direct it by skill, location, level of experience, all while filtering out spam candidates, you got to post a job on our incredible platform. Go ahead and post a job over at Dynamite Jobs and click promote. That starts at just a few hundred dollars. All of our clients receive full email and phone support so your campaigns won't ever stall out. Check out our site or schedule a call today. Dynamite Jobs the hiring platform for remote-first companies. You mentioned that adding recurring revenue to your business model was another meaningful moment in your business. How so? So, for a very long time, I went the high-ticket lifetime access course route, where basically I would create a product it would be 200 bucks, which is that's a decent chunk of change for a course on how to do pull-ups, right? 
lot of people yeah. would think that would be like a $20 thing, but this is a $200 thing because it's, it's really good and it's to CrossFitters and it's specific and it's very niche down. And then I realized I was running out of ideas. <laughs> I was like, okay, at what point do I run out of courses to create? And then that's kind of when I saw Masterclass coming on the scene and some of these other products where I was just like, what if I just bundle it all together and say, you can have everything for an annual subscription. So I've tried that. And now I've actually gone through over a year's worth of that. And wow, that first year where all the annual subscriptions re-upped for their second year and I, I didn't have to do anything. All I'm doing is like so making I, new products. I would have guessed then that your churn is, well, here's my guess when I saw that. I was like, I bet his churn is super high because if I'm buying Ben's product and it's all this information I get immediate access to, I'm just going to set cancel in my calendar and I'm going to make sure I cancel it. But then I was like, well, even if over half the people cancel, you're still making out great because yeah. you don't have costs. Correct. So yeah, how high is the churn and how does that um, work out? This is how disconnected I am. Brent would know. Brent is my data <laughs> guy, so he knows the churn. I know the churn is... Um, I think it's 20, it was between 20 and 25%. Oh, that's great. And the reason is we give them a reason to stay in. We don't just have this course library. We are creating new products. We make a new course. We launch it to our email list as a new course. And then we give them the option if they want to buy the academy, they can. So it's just like, it's this multi-pronged approach where we get a lot of people who are like, I don't want everything. I just want to buy this course and they'll buy it for the high price you know, a la carte. And then we have a lot of people they will buy two or three courses and they're like, these are awesome. Okay, I'm going to join the academy. And then they're paying 400 bucks a year or 300 bucks a year. Why didn't you do it earlier? Like, how does it change things? Honestly, it's because really Ramit Sethi, like one of my main business mentors, he just was like, recurring revenue is hard. Like, we don't do it. We just sell high ticket stuff to new, to basically like new leads. So I really focus on just growing the email list and then I would always have something to sell them because they're new to the email list. But then I realized I'm like, just because he doesn't do it and didn't like it when he did it doesn't mean that I can't do it. And I also realized that if there is an audience that's okay with a recurring membership of some sort, it's the fitness audience, right? Like they pay monthly memberships for yeah. $200, $250, depending on where you live, for a CrossFit membership. I realize it's like this audience is okay with recurring subscriptions. And if they don't want to do that, they can always buy the courses a la carte. So it kind of has turned into this business model where, where no matter what kind of person they are, they can choose their own adventure and get what they want out of it. So I wish I did it earlier, but I'm glad that I've done it. Ben, if I were to come to you and make you an impassioned pitch for you to be my Billy Murphy, and I'm going to say, Ben, I really want you to teach me how to create a course that's recurring revenue that teaches people how to grow a podcast, for example. What sort of advice or frameworks would you empower me with to do what you did, but maybe try and do it faster? I would probably say that the first problem is trying to do it faster. I'm not the kind of guy that knows necessarily how to do it faster. I know a few shortcuts. Like I would certainly give you the tools to say, hey, as soon as you start creating some revenue, I want you to dedicate a good chunk of that to buying back your time through hiring people to do things you suck at. Yep. But I would caution against the person, especially in an information product business, 
who's just trying to come in and be like, hey, in three months, I want to be making 50K a month. How do I do that? I'd be like, all right, you're probably talking to the wrong guy because I didn't do that. If I was to coach someone like that, I would say you need to sell a very expensive product. You probably want some sort of sales funnel that does involve high ticket like sales. So some sort of sales call, selling them an expensive package with some sort of high touch thing. I'm not going to have to be a podcast consultant instead of, or do group coaching for podcasters or something like that. Precisely. The way that I know how to do it and the way that I would be comfortable coaching someone is someone who had a little bit of a runway. It's like, hey, if you're willing to hustle and do some $0 an hour work for six months, a year, where you're just, you're focusing on making really high quality content and then sharing that high quality content with the world so that they know that you know your stuff. You're just building value. Do that and build the email list from day one and then come to me six months, a year down the road and I'll show you how to launch a product to those raving fans. I'm not hacking any any advertising platform. Yeah, I know there's lots of money being made there, but there's also a lot of money that just disappears once an algorithm update comes in. The organic route is I've built kind of a juggernaut of a business where like every Google update that comes out, Google's like, oh, wow. Yo, WordPress is legit. And it, and it helps us. So I know how to do the organic route and I'm not going to claim that it's fast, but it's sure. sustainable and I think it'll be there in, in five to 10 years. So you work backwards from this number, I think. Oh man, well, I could create an academy, a podcast academy for 500 bucks that's recurring and you get some sort of ongoing benefit for renewing your membership. So then I think, okay, well, to make a a million dollars in sales like Ben's doing, I got to sell, I got to find 2,000 customers every year. And then I got to replace like 500 of them to cover my churn. So then I'm working backwards. I'm thinking, well, damn, what's my percentage conversion going to be from my newsletter? If it's going to be 5%, then I got to have 50,000 people in my newsletter. Half a percent. I can't even do that. I got to have over 100,000 people on my mailing list. And then, so I got to create content on the web that maybe like a million people are going to see or more. Mm -hmm. That sounds really daunting. Are those numbers accurate? It could be. So for me, our email list is just under 100,000. Like I said, revenue will do probably 1.1 million this year. And in terms of conversion rate on the email list, on any given promotion, we're converting like half a percent would be a great conversion on any specific launch that we're doing. If I had looked at the work that it was going to take to create what I've built back in 2015, or yeah, 2015 when I first started pursuing it, I would have been scared and probably not done it. Looking at it, with this this end goal is great and I know it works for a lot of people but for me it was more of just like what's my next step and let's see where this goes if it capped out at a $50,000 a year business where it was just me yeah then like I'd probably still I'd probably be like coaching at a CrossFit gym or I'd be doing something else for something higher ticket but like I just kind of followed it where it was taking me and it just keeps taking me higher and I keep improving myself and I keep improving the business system, hiring people to do that, like have an operations manager and he's really shape things up around here. And I just kind of follow where it takes me. And actually, like one of 
a really, really good book that one of my friends gave me is The Lion Tracker's Guide to Life or something like that. Have you read no. that book? No. Wow, a book that Dan hasn't read? Anyway, so so that book, it's like a you could read it. It's like a coffee table book. You could read it in one sitting easily. This it's by this author Boyd Varty, and he comes from a long line of lion trackers in South Africa. And the quote in that book that is so, so true for business and for my life is I don't know where I'm going, but I know how to get there. And the analogy is when you're tracking a lion, you know you're trying to track a lion, but you have no idea where the lion has gone. You don't know if it's up on that ridge or if it's in that valley or if it's drinking water over there. But instead, you just follow the signs. You're like, oh, there's a step. Oh, there's a broken branch up there. And you follow the signs and then it leads you to where you need to go to find this lion. And for me, that's kind of how my life has gone, business and personally. It's, I don't know where I'm ending up. Like, will I have kids one day? I have no idea. But like, so far, my life is leading me in this direction and I'm, I am where I am. And I'm following you know, my intuition. I'm following my business numbers to take me where I need to go, both in life and in business. And I know that the business is going to end up where it needs to end up. I'm not necessarily stressing myself out by saying, I need to build a $20 million business and exit with this amount of money and yada, yada. Like, and I know a lot of people do really well with that. That is not like that would stress me out too much. So for me, it's just like, how can I keep a high quality of life? How can I have fun? How can I hunt a lot in September? And I'm just going to follow the steps and follow the intuition and follow where the numbers are taking me in both in business and then also in life. And that's kind of the way that I do it. And that's that is the way that I've gotten to 1.1 million, which, you know, if you asked me back in 2015, like, do you think you can make a million dollars a year selling CrossFit information products? I'd be like, are you insane? All these things come with time and just taking one step in front of the other, not trying to make leaps. Now, am I going to sell my company for $10 billion? No, like this is a different model than a lot of these mega companies where they are taking these stratospheric leaps. Now, Ben has spoken at a couple of our DC community events, and he always gets great feedback for his honesty and his generosity. And I just wondered what his motivation was for taking the time out to do that. Something that's not really related to growing his business directly, which is a common theme in the community. And his answer was an interesting one. I do a lot of things that aren't related to growing my business because I've actually been able to, thanks to therapy, detach the business from me. There was a very, very long time, and they're probably it's still there, but like there was such a long time where like business success equals Ben's success. And business had a bad month. That means Ben had a bad month. And I just find that. Yeah, you mentioned that that's sort of originated in in your bed in that first email where you got depressed when no one bought your product within a, an hour. That's a dangerous cocktail right there. Very dangerous. And I lived that roller coaster for a while, but it was mostly up, right? Because I figured out the recipe and it was all exciting and new. But then, yeah, it turned bad, turned sour. So I've been able to disconnect from that. Really, the reason I would fly to Bangkok and and give a presentation or talk at other conferences, which I have is just because it is a great way to meet people. And honestly, because I needed those kinds of presentations. And I remember being the person in the audience, just soaking everything up. I remember the first DCBKK, I filled up the entire notebook that you guys gave me. 
And then the next year came back and it was like half the notebook. And the next year it came back and it was a quarter of the notebook. And then I'm pretty sure last time I did not take a single note. <laughs> and I came because I'm just, I love surrounding myself with the people and I love meeting people. And the best way to meet people is to give a presentation. And then people naturally come find you and they talk to you and they, they want to talk to you about the subject matter that you talked about. I have a, a story to tell that for some people it's not going to work. But then for others, there are people out there who can learn from what I have to share. We've been really open about uh, the fact that a therapist helped you with your business life. I want to get to that, but I wanted you to start, speak on the therapy point just a little bit. If Could you describe to us what happens in therapy? How does a session go? Like, What are the things that you do that we all can understand? And then what are some things that might happen in your mind during or after a therapy session that are less obvious? Mm. So depending on the session, there are some times where I just come and I essentially walk through the highs and lows of the last however many weeks it's been since my last session. And Oftentimes, we pull a thread from one of those stories where I am like, yeah, there was like because of X, Y happened and I had this really strange reaction and it kind of put me in a tailspin. And then he pulls on that thread and we kind of unravel sometimes just one little thing. Other times, it's more strategic and more him coaching me like when we first started working together one of the main things that we did was come up with my values i've never actually sat like yeah you know okay what are my core values i don't know whatever <laughs> but we actually sat down and he made me come with no cards to our session where it was like the name of the value and then flip it over on the other side and kind of few words or a sentence defining what that value means to me and that was really eye-opening because once I started writing these values and I started realizing what actually matters to me, I can connect a lot of these funks that I get in. Because I'm an emotional roller coaster. Okay. I'm I am not Ryan Holiday, freaking stoic, <laughs> super ninja. Okay. But I kind of embrace my emotions now, which therapy has helped. Like I don't beat myself up for not always feeling normal, right? Like I don't beat myself up for, hey, today I'm not feeling so good and everything kind of seems meh. I used to, as Mark Manson puts it, like it was a feedback loop from hell. I would just spiral out of control like, oh man, why do I feel so bad? I should feel great. This sucks because this sucks. And you just like spiral. Now it's just like, man, hey, it's not a good day for me and that's okay. I think this is really useful, Ben, just to actually demystify what happens. There's two things I see I think therapy is so useful for entrepreneurs and just for everybody in general. They're scared of it a little bit. They're scared of what might happen in there, which is understandable. And then the other thing, I think a lot of people think that they can approximate it in their everyday life. So how is that process different from talking to a close friend with whom you're open with? Therapists are professionals. Uh, my therapist is ex-CIA, has multiple degrees in this and 
Guess who doesn't? All of my <laughs> friends. It's just like it's in everything in life. When you need a mechanic, you don't go to your buddy who like drives a car and be like, hey, like, what do you think's wrong with it? And the professionalism that he brings to the table is very evident in the results. My friends wouldn't have made me sit down and come up with these value systems because I just would have rolled my eyes and like, eh, whatever, dude. This I trust this person because he is a professional. And even though he doesn't know my life, he doesn't know the intricacies of everything, he can offer professional wisdom that I then am like, oh, wow. Like I've never thought of it that way. Doing that value work was incredible because when I'm in a funk, I used to just be like, man, I'm in a funk. Why do I feel so bad? And then that feedback loop from hell would happen. But now a lot of times when I'm in a funk, I'm like, let's, let me just pull out these note cards. And I look at my values and I'm like, wow, I am really ignoring this value lately. Because you can't focus on all of them. You're always going to have one that's kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit. And oftentimes when your life is feeling out of balance and out of whack and you're all like kind of in my head, I can look back at these cards and be like, oh, wow, that's because I'm, I'm lacking on this one. The value of freedom, like I felt really constrained lately. Like maybe I need to go take a trip or, or even fitness. Like, oh yeah, no, Ben, like you haven't worked out in three weeks. That's maybe why you're not feeling so good. Like it's crazy to just be able to look at these cards and be like, ah, yeah, that one's really slacking. And, and that could be part of the reason why I feel this way. Um, yeah. That never would have happened without an actual professional therapist. So I think that's the distinction here is, yeah, you, you can learn a lot with your friends and I still do. I mean, oh my goodness, I've had some incredible conversations with friends. So that's one form of therapy, but having an actual professional do the work is, like I said, just like that, that plumber story that comes in and makes one whack of the hammer or you know, just like your mechanic who's like, oh, the squeak is coming from right here and here's how you fix it. They kind of can get to the root of the problem probably quicker than some random person in your life. Yeah, well, that's really well said, Ben. I think a lot of times like our friends and people that we're close with, they're often really good at complexity, like cooking up plans or helping you take the next step in your business or introducing you to somebody who like they trust that can help you. And But I find that the professional therapists, there's this quote that Eamon said at our last event. He said, simple isn't easy. And there's a lot of like very like simple work that can lead to like these stunning outcomes that are really easy to ignore because it takes the kind of patience and time that isn't really acceptable in social situations, even with people you're really close with. Like it's not acceptable to sit there for four straight hours and talk about a two minute moment, right? that actually leads into a wormhole that then becomes a way to retell a fundamental story to yourself or something like that. On that note, like, so I actually have therapy uh, starting in an hour, I believe. So I have therapy that starts in, in a little under an hour from now. And like, it's one of those things where like, I don't schedule when I think I need it. Like, it's not like, oh man, life sucks. All right, hey Tim, let's 100%. schedule something. I schedule it preemptively. And there's sometimes I show up and I'm like, man, things are going amazing. We talk about it. I schedule everything else in my life. Like I schedule my video shoots. I schedule my workouts. I schedule my therapy and I get it on the books and I, I lock it in because I know that regardless of where I am in life, 
is going to be a very valuable, high ROI in so many ways, one hour of my time. Ben, thanks for scheduling a meeting with the TMBA podcast. We appreciate you coming by. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor. I've been a part of the of the DC for quite some time now. So I'm honored to be here. <laughs> Thanks, man. We appreciate it. Big shout out. Many thanks to Ben Jawalski. You can check out what he's up to over at wadprep.com. Great domain, by the way, and looking forward to catching up to him and so many of you in just over a month in Bangkok for our 10th annual DCBKK. But before we do that, of course, we'll be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.